up, everybody. You're now at your favorite stop for all things sports, politics, and culture. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast with Devon Pouncey, a production of ThatCast Network. Hey, now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. Uh, we're recording. Let's just say we're recording. We, we're not going to keep talking about where we located and where we ain't located because we don't have studio access right now because... We're trying to uh, keep this social social distancing thing at an all time high. Unfortunately, can't wait until these days are over. But anywho, um, let's just get right into a few quick announcements. The first one being the Street Roots podcast is officially out. Uh, The last podcast episode we had here on Wake Up and Win, I mentioned that that podcast would be in the works and it is now officially out there in the public on news.streetroots.org. So please go and check that out. Uh, I had the pleasure of being able to interview Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. Uh, We talked a bit about the city's fight against COVID-19, obviously. That's the hot topic these days, unfortunately. I hope that topic is not so hot in the very, very near future because I'm tired of it. I'm ready to get back outside and I'm ready to go out and see the people interact. I miss my gigs. I miss a bunch of shit about being outdoors. But anywho, um, we talked a bit about uh, COVID-19. We discussed the Just Energy Initiative. We discussed Portland Street response and where that project, that pilot, excuse me, now stands Uh, Because of this COVID-19 thing and how it's affected so many things in the world of politics and just in everybody's world, essentially. Uh, And we discussed a few more things as well. So I would really, really encourage you to go and check that podcast out. Um, I actually just did another episode, another interview a few minutes ago that will be released this weekend at some point with one of our vendors turned staff, Tina Drake. So that podcast will be out here around when this podcast episode of Wake Up and Win gets released as well. So go on and check it out. You'll see it front and center on news.streetroots.org. Also, this virtual DJing thing has really been keeping me afloat during these times, man. I've been in the house and having a figure out how to keep people entertained outside of just this podcast and obviously the Street Roots podcast and some of the other media ventures that I'm already in tune with and have been doing. But, you know, like I said, I miss going out there and doing my gigs. I miss being on the rooftop and and DJing for folks. I had a few big gigs lined up that I was looking forward to that now have been postponed until later dates because of this whole COVID-19. But being able to record right from the house and have so many people interact and so many people joining in and really having fun and really having a good time and just really getting people through these crazy times right now has been super dope. Um, It's been hot. It's been sweaty. It's been fun. It's been slaps. It's been all of the above. So I appreciate y'all because I really didn't imagine to get as much support as I have been doing this virtual DJ thing um, just because, you know, everybody's kind of doing it. All the DJs are doing it. And as far as me being a DJ, um, I've never really branded myself as such just because I feel like I'm more in the beginner stages of being one. And because I do brand myself more as a media personality because I have some, so many of those ventures, but I do spend a significant amount of time spinning and DJing at different gigs. And I have, uh, well, I had until further notice sort of a, uh, uh, unofficial spot that I was really DJing at an unofficial residency, I should say, um, over, at where I was DJing on the rooftop at Export Barn Lounge. So just, you know, I'm missing some of those things right now. So you all really tapping into what I'm doing has been dope. And we'll keep it going. We'll keep it rocking because the people are calling for it. Um, But now just to get into some content, I want to talk about a guy by the name of Holland Boo Boo Woods. Some of you May have heard me discuss Boo Boo here on this podcast before whenever I reference the Portland State basketball team, which many of you may know and some of you may not know. Uh, I'm the color analyst for the TV broadcast over at Portland State. So um, 
You know, I, I'm always on television covering their home games and their best player on that team this year, really since I've been there, because I've only been there the last two years, has been their point guard, Holland Woods. Um, sophomore year, had a really good year. He was all conference honorable mention this year, his junior year. He took it up a notch, ended up being first team all conference. Uh, he ended up uh, breaking a bunch of records for Portland State this year. And, you know, he's just really becoming a big time name at the point guard position nationally uh, because he's been able to produce so well. And throughout his career, he's continued to elevate year to year statistically um, in the case of his production and things of that sort. And so obviously with those records broken, with the accolades that he already has, um, everybody, especially within the Portland State community, was really looking forward to year four, the big year, his senior year, his final year to play ball there and continue to make history and just keep thriving as he's been doing with the program. But um, he took everybody for a bit of a runaround by deciding to insert his name into the transfer portal. And so obviously with that, um, a lot of people have their eyes out on what it is that he's doing. Um, a lot of people are checking in pretty regularly to see when he'll decide or commit to wherever it is that he's going to decide to commit to. And he has already narrowed it down to five schools, those five schools being Portland State University. So Portland State isn't out of the realm of possibility for him to return and finish the, the the fantastic career that he's had there up to this point. He's also got Oregon State University, which is right down the street and obviously a Pac-12 school. Um, he's got Arizona State University, another Pac-12 school, which um, is really on his radar because he grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. So that's his hometown school. That's the school that, um, you know, would kind of make him look like this homecoming sort of a savior and just is just a welcome home type of a feel if he would go back there. Um, he's also gotten an offer from Gonzaga. And we all know sort of the basketball powerhouse that Gonzaga has become really over this last half a decade to a decade. They've really just turned that program into something special over there in Spokane, Washington. Spokane, Washington actually produces some good basketball on a lot of levels because I played Division Three basketball and Whitworth has for a very long time now been one of the national powerhouses on the men's side of things. Um, and the last school that he has on his radar is uh, University of New Mexico. Um, why that is, I really don't know. <laughs> um, definitely, you know, the three other schools, I could I could definitely see why he would choose those schools. Um, like I said, two Pac-12 schools, one national powerhouse. Um, I could really see why that school, those schools would be uh, in the running as far as his final five schools are concerned. Portland State, I think, speaks for itself, being that that's where he's been throughout his entire college basketball career. But New Mexico State is the one that I really haven't quite figured out yet. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think these times that we're in right now um, really hurt his chances to come back to Portland State. Uh, I definitely reached out to him and I told him, you know, I I truly wish and hope that he does come back to play at uh, Portland State. A lot of those reasons being selfish ones, because I do enjoy calling his games. And I recall back to my very first game being on the call over at Portland State. It was a sophomore year. I came about midway through conference play, really even more so closer to the end of conference play. Um, Portland State. They were playing at home. Uh, it was Valentine's Day, I think, to be exact, was my very first game commentating for him. And my brother had come to that game. And, you know, at that game, Portland State won. It was a fun time, good energy. And that game, actually, who had a really big game was the late Deontay Strickland. Um, he was lights out from three. He just balled out that game. He really obviously stood out to me and my brother because we had never really seen this team play before. And Strickland was the shortest guy on the floor, but he was knocking down threes from everywhere, led the Vikes in scoring that night. He had a big game. But when my brother and I kind of had this conversation and, and talked about, you know, what we felt about some of the guys on the team, I told my brother from that very first game that I saw Holland Boo Boo Woods, I said, 
that dude has NBA talent, point blank, period. And it was a bit hard for my brother to grasp at the time because you don't really hear much about Portland State sending guys to the NBA or Portland State having NBA talent. And sometimes um, you can kind of get your views kind of fogged up a bit because even though Portland State is Division One, it's still a mid-major, so the recognition that that school may get isn't necessarily the same as some of the other aforementioned schools that we've already talked about in regards to who's in the running to get Boo Boo, plus so much more. But with that being said, I'm like, man, this dude's got NBA talent. I'm telling you, man, I I, I know what it's like to get there. I mean, not to get there because I've never been there, but I know what it takes to get there because I played with and against so much NBA talent. And the dude just was flat out got it. And at the time he was only a sophomore. So just being able to see the way he kind of led and quarterback that team and just noticing some of the elite skill set that he already had at that young of an age in his college career. I'm like, the dude still got two more years left after this he he's gonna get there and so obviously this year he stepped it up a notch and now he's really in those conversations of being able to get to the league now where COVID-19 I think really affects things in regards to Portland State is Portland State was on a six game win streak before that quarterfinal game got suspended Uh, really got canceled, I should say, uh, in the Big Sky Conference this year, the Big Sky Conference tournament. And I truly, truly believe, and I wouldn't just say this just to say this because I'm being a homer or because I've covered this team, but I've seen every team in the conference play. And I truly, truly believe Portland State had a legitimate chance at being able to win the Big Sky Conference tournament this year. And had that happened, I think the perception around that program would have changed drastically. It's been a really long time since Portland State has been to a national tournament and and, and, and made that appearance there. Um, and with Boo Boo being the best player on the team, being the star player on the team, the first team all-conference guy, I truly believe the perception around him would have tra- changed drastically because he was a le- he was able to lead this small mid-major university to an NCAA tournament appearance. I mean, that's a huge deal. And obviously, once he gets to the tournament, you get even more buzz. You get even more publicity. You get... Um, Even more scouts on you, more eyes on you, just more overall recognition. But because COVID-19 took those chances away from Portland State, I truly believe that that was the possible worst thing that could have happened for the squad. Um, I understand what Arizona State means, especially when it comes to a guard, a point guard in particular. Uh, My only concern as far as him being able to transfer out and play at these bigger schools is, if, you know, he would be able to really put up the same numbers and produce the same at these other schools as he has been able to do at Portland State, because that's now his team here in the city of Portland. But, you know, when you go up to these other schools, roles change. Um, There's other guys up there that can really ball out that coach may want to revolve the team around. But Where I'm confident in Boo Boo is I think he does have talent enough to go anywhere and really put up that same production. But systematically, that just might not be the case. So, um, you know, really, if I just had to guess, not because I know anything or have any inside information on this because of the position that I play with the university, I got a kind of a gut feeling that he'll go back home and he'll play at Arizona State and and really, you know, try to do his thing there because Arizona State actually had a good year this year in the Pac-12 and being that he can come home, play in front of his family, I think that in itself is a storyline. I do think that, you know, he wants to get these storylines and he wants to get more attention and more light brought to his name because of the baller that he is and he knows that's what's necessary for folks to really take a serious look into what he's able to do to go to the next level. But like I said, selfishly, I hope he comes back to Portland State. Um, But the dude will be a pro either way. I I will go as far as saying I truly believe in his ability as a player. Um, Like I said, I I, I hope 
that he makes the decision that's best for him. Um, I do support players going into the transfer uh, transfer portal and really trying to make what it is that they want out of their own careers. I'm not the type of guy that thinks, oh, him putting himself in the transfer, transfer portal is a lack of loyalty or him putting himself in the transfer, transfer portal is, is, is kind of a weak move because he's not finishing what he started at Portland State and there's life lessons that could be learned from finishing what you start I'm just not that guy Um, I support guys being able to do whatever they want to do especially if it's within the rules and the confines of what the NCAA allows so um, more power to him I'm wishing him the best and being able to make that decision I hope he comes back to Portland State but uh, I just don't know if I see that happening but his decision will be made by this weekend so I just wanted to really talk about that and cover that real quick, kind of because I got to. I mean, I am, you know, a color analyst at PSU and he is a big time player. So uh, my best wishes go to him, go to his family, go to his future endeavors within the sport, his basketball career. I think the dude can really go far. Um, But to transition out of boo boo, um, I want to talk about kind of this Hall of Fame discussion that's been going on and it's no discussion that I'm making up. Obviously a big announcement was made, uh, within this past week, you have, uh, headlining the 2020 hall of fame, basketball hall of fame class. You got Kobe Bryant, you got Tim Duncan and you got Kevin Garnett. Um, obviously we've talked a bunch about Kobe Bryant in the past few months due to the very, very unfortunate passing of him, his daughter and seven others in that really horrific uh, helicopter crash. But um, one thing that I mentioned back when we were having those conversations, because you had a lot of people coming out and saying, you know, we got to shut down the debate talks when it comes to is Kobe as good as Michael Jordan or is Kobe better than LeBron or is Kobe this or is Kobe that? Because I think everybody was sort of, in their feelings about something that was far greater than just Kobe's basketball legacy. And in that case, it was his life and him losing his life, unfortunately, at an early age and in the fashion that he lost his life, losing his daughter in the process and friends being lost in the process. It was just so much around Kobe Bryant's name that was far greater than any basketball debate that one could have about Kobe. But Even during those times, I was one to come out and say, I will still have those conversations. I think Kobe was such an ultimate competitor that even in his death, he wouldn't want people to steer away from those conversations because as a competitor, he worked his entire life to be in those particular conversations that were being had around him when it came to the sport of basketball. So here we are now. Kobe Bryant being inserted into the 2020 Hall of Fame class and another guy who played another guy who played in the same era as Kobe Bryant is Tim Duncan. And so I'm seeing a lot of these conversations float around because some folks are saying this is the greatest Hall of Fame class of all time. But beyond just that, people are starting to compare the careers of Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan because in a lot of ways, sure, Kobe Bryant does headline this class, but in other ways, it's not really etched in stone that Kobe Bryant had the greatest basketball career in this Hall of Fame class because Tim Duncan might have something to say about that with what he was able to do and what he was able to produce throughout his basketball career. And I'll go as far as saying this. It's hard for me to say that Tim Duncan had a better basketball career than Kobe Bryant because flat out, I just don't think that he was a better basketball player than Kobe Bryant. And beyond that, I don't think if I had to do a ranking of the greatest players of all time that I would ever put Tim Duncan ahead of Kobe Bryant in that regard. But what I will say in regards to Tim Duncan is I do believe that Tim Duncan was a better winner than Kobe Bryant was. I don't think him being a better winner necessarily is equivalent to him having a better career, but they've got the same amount of rings. Both of the guys won five rings apiece. Um, But in the case of Tim Duncan, even in those years when Tim Duncan wasn't winning rings, 
Tim Duncan was still playing for a contending team. He was leading a contending team, and he had action in majority of those years of still being able to get a ring. Where we know Kobe had his errors, obviously, after Shaq left, where he was playing with guys like Smush Parker, Sasha Vujicic, where the Lakers wasn't worth a damn. And then Kobe was actually to the point of demanding a trade and wanting to get out of L.A., and then all of a sudden, Pau Gasol showed up. Uh, you had Lamar over Lamar Odom over there. They drafted Andrew. Andrew Bynum and that Laker team was able to go to three straight finals and win two finals in a row. And so Kobe was able to kind of get his groove back. He was able to get more rings than Shaq, who everybody compared him to because of what they were obviously both able to do together early on in their career. And then once that team kind of fell by the wayside, Kobe got older. He started dealing with a lot more injuries and he wasn't necessarily playing for a winning team again, where Tim Duncan pretty much from start to finish always played for an organization that was playoff bound, if not championship bound, because they lost a couple of finals during those time periods as well. Um, They obviously lost some really tough matchups against Kobe and his Lakers. I know many of us can recall the point four shot that Derek Fisher made and that team was just always in the thick of it. And being that he was the leader of that team, I would just have to say that he was a greater winner than Kobe Bryant was. But going back to the conversation that I'm having in regards to who's having a better career, I think Tim Duncan is a better winner than LeBron James is. Obviously, LeBron James still has time to say something about that. But if LeBron doesn't win another ring again, Tim Duncan is a greater winner than LeBron. I still wouldn't go as far as saying Tim Duncan had a better career than LeBron, though. So I think you can disassociate winning and who had the better career, although in some arguments you can utilize those elements to support your case on who had a better career when it comes to which guy was just flat out a better winner. But when we're talking about two guys who won at such an elite level, I think you got to look into some other things in regards to seeing what guy was just flat out the better basketball player and them being the better basketball player, how that led to them having a better career. And I think the way Kobe finished out his career was just absolutely epic with that 60-point game he had in his very last game. I think the adversity Kobe faced throughout his career was far greater than Tim Duncan, um, being that there was times where Kobe didn't have Phil Jackson coaching him. Tim Duncan never had a time where he had to play without Greg Popovich, who is a top five greatest NBA coach of all time. Uh, During that time period, Kobe was able to put up 81 points in a game. Kobe was able to do things that'll be etched in our memories forever that I just don't think Tim Duncan was necessarily capable of being able to do had he not had the support system that he had during his entire career on the San Antonio Spurs. So I'm going to just go ahead and say Kobe had the greater career, but I'll stick with Duncan being the better winner. But speaking of Kobe Bryant, and not necessarily to have to associate Kobe Bryant with this particular name uh, in this particular topic, but I got a special guest here with me. I got the wife coming on the podcast with me today. Um, None of you have ever heard her speak on this podcast before, um, but she is here today now. But her and I watched an interview last week, and... The interview was on the podcast called Drink Drink Champs, which I think is a great podcast, probably my favorite podcast of all podcasts out there. Um, And on this episode of Drink Champs, uh, it's hosted by Noriega, who is a very well-known rapper, somebody who has been very well-known for a long time in the hip-hop community. And he interviewed a guy by the name of Lamar Odom, which many know was Kobe Bryant's teammate during that uh, back-to-back title run that they went on in the the number 24 era of Kobe Bryant's career. But just to give a backstory... Drink Champs is a podcast where Nori essentially brings people from the culture that he feels have legendary status. More often than not, is more often than not, excuse me, it's music artists, it's rappers. Um, but every once in a while, he might bring an athlete onto the podcast. I know he's had Floyd Mayweather on the podcast, who obviously has reached legendary status in the world of boxing. Um, and in the case of Lamar Odom. 
I think Lamar Odom's name has been tainted because of some of the substance issues he's had because he is associated and attached to the Kardashian name in the way that he is. But Lamar Odom had a damn good NBA basketball career, but that's been overshadowed with uh, his personal life more or less. But essentially in this episode, Um, Lamar Odom, who's in recovery, who nearly died um, because of drug use and substance use, uh, came onto this podcast and it was about nearly a three hour three hour conversation where Nori and Lamar are just getting hammered and Nori is interviewing Lamar. And they're drinking, they're smoking weed, they're doing what you do on Drink Champs. This is nothing new. This is what the premise of Drink Drink Champs is all about. It's about getting the guests drunk and having a conversation. And obviously, Nori is getting drunk himself. Well, towards the end of that conversation, Lamar Odom got to a point where he was really uncomfortable and thought that um, he really felt disrespected by Nori because of you know, the conversation kind of getting to a point that Lamar Odom didn't necessarily appreciate. So before you hear more of what my opinion is in regards to this conversation being had, I want to ask you, Alicia, because we're practicing social distancing. So we got to record, you know, in-house. We can't be at the studio in Portland. So I'm just going to have you pop on the mic and say, what were your thoughts and feelings? Because you actually watched the episode and you also, uh, I think you're a pretty socially aware person, (laughs) probably more than I am. But I want to just kind of get a feel for how you felt about Lamar in that situation. Obviously, how you felt about Noriega being the person that hosted the interview and and let it get to the point that it got to. And I would say in some ways encouraged it to get to the point that it got to. Just kind of tell me what your general thoughts are about it. The entire thing was extremely cringy. Cringy. That's the word. Yes. Cringy. All right. Tell me more. Um, They've had guests in the past that were either alcoholics or an AANA, and they've cleared the table completely of all alcohol, all drug use, with the exception of Nori's weed. And in Lamar's case, they were passing him shots, encouraging him to drink. And if you are in N.A. or A.A., you are not supposed to have any type of mind-altering substances. And you can see his regret at about two hours and 45 minutes in, almost exactly. (laughs) You can see him like, ooh, I shouldn't have said all that I said. I should not have done this. He has done a lot, a lot of work to rebuild his reputation. Um, His fiance helped him with that, his health and wellness. He was promoting almost heading towards being a poster child for recovery and to go on that show and to go to the extents that he did. He broke the record of guests taking shots. Like he took the highest amount of yeah, shots. He, he got, he had. got hammered. He got fucked up. That's for sure. He got hammered. But here's my thing though. It, like, who do you blame in this Both. situation? Because you said it's, it's cringy. Who makes this cringy? Is it Lamar Odom because of the, I guess, bad decision that he made to join this podcast, knowing what this platform was all about? Or is Nori the one that makes you cringy because Nori didn't clear the table, essentially? In that case, what if Lamar Odom didn't want to clear the table? Because I would imagine that conversation was had beforehand. Mm -hmm. Lamar felt like he was good enough and ready to hop on and have a conversation with Nori where the only substances or 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 alcoholic beverages would be. Well, just what I said, alcoholic beverages and marijuana. It would be no hard drugs, which we know Lamar Odom has really more so had a problem with in the past where the harder drugs rather than alcohol and weed, which I think tend to be, I guess, from a perception standpoint, more on the recreational side of things. If Lamar agrees to be able to sit at a table and have a conversation with Nori where they're only drinking alcohol and smoking marijuana, how can you blame Nori in that whole situation? Because Lamar is still a grown man at the end of the day. Well, it's everybody's fault. First off, It's his team's fault. His team should have had a conversation with the producers of Drink Champs to figure out what exactly would be the context. Would there be alcohol? Would they stick to the trend of removing that from the table? It's Lamar's fault because he's a grown man. He made that decision. 
and it's Nori's. In the interview, Nori says that he and Lamar have a personal relationship outside of just that. If that is your friend, they grew up in the same neighborhood, him, in the same quote, unquote, area. Family. So if that is your family, you should try to present them in the best light possible. So I think all of them should take responsibility. At the end of the day, it does ultimately fall on Lamar. But you Absolutely. know that this man has issues. He has mental health issues. He has a long family history of drug abuse. But I'm just thinking from a standpoint of like me, for example, somebody who works in the nightlife, I DJ at these bars and then I get paid for people to drink, essentially. Like mm-hmm. my entertainment value is only as valuable as whatever it is that the bar ends up making that night based on people wanting to a stay at that particular venue and drink and drink more and drink more and drink more to where the bar's bottom line is is great or better than what it usually is when there is no entertainment there to encourage people to continue to drink. And I will even say as far as I always try to find a vibe. I know that I'm in a bar type setting. In this case, we know drink champs is a podcast that's based on getting drunk and having a drunk conversation because you know what folks say drunk words to sober thoughts and going into that everybody knows that's that premise that's the premise around that podcast i would say the same in regards to going to the bar if you're going to go to a bar expect people to get drunk expect people to drink and like i said in my own personal case when i have to bring entertainment value there the bartenders when they're making a bunch of money and a bunch of tips because my entertainment is making people want to turn up and making people want to enjoy the atmosphere that is blatantly being delivered to them which is the reason why they showed up how can you get mad at the entertainer in this case nori because his podcast is a very entertaining podcast for lamar odom making the decision to come through and drink and smoke weed and have a conversation with Lamar under those circumstances. I mean, with Nori under those circumstances. Well, Nori in this case is the entertainer and he's the bartender. Now, if you know about bar life, you know that as a bartender, you're supposed to cut off the customer at a certain point if they are getting excessively inebriated. Absolutely. So where the problem but Nori's with Nori is not a licensed bartender for no, us I'm to hold him to that standard. That. I'm saying you're giving that comparison. I'm giving the comparison so of the entertainer and the nightlife. You life. need to give the cutoff point at some point. The problem that Nori has is in the past, he has cleared the table for known addicts. But and that, he did not but, clear but it. Usually it's, but usually it's because of those known addicts wanting the table to be cleared. I would imagine if Nori could, and I could tell in the point of the interview when Nori and Lamar were talking and when they kind of had the back and forth because Lamar felt disrespected that Nori let the conversation get to that point. Lamar was like, well, did I give you what you needed in the podcast? And Nori just straight up said like, now you have because you brought some controversy to this thing because we don't necessarily see eye to eye because you're mad that you came here and got a little too effed up. Um, so, I mean, I, the only thing that I would say is hard to, to, to give Nori credit for from more of a journalistic perspective is Nori did speak out after this entire controversy went super public and he got a lot of criticism because he said that one of the things Lamar Odom was mad about was Nori continued to bring up Lamar's two rings. And Lamar's rings, obviously are no longer in his possession because of his substance use, whether he pawned them, he did something to that. Did he pawn them? Mm-hmm. He, he pawned his rings because of his substance abuse. Now, Nori said he didn't know that Lamar pawned his rings, but Lamar felt like that was public information in that case. Yes. Nori, as the journalist, you're wrong for asking that particular question or continuing to bring up that particular comment because it was unintentional. Now, if it was intentional and you was like, I'm going to bring up the rings anyway, because it is public information and I'm not afraid to have maybe a controversial dialogue or have some uncomfortableness between the two of us in the conversation by bringing this topic up that I actually know about. That's one thing. But just to flat out say, I didn't know 
that he pawned his two rings for substances and I may have had a different approach in the interview, I'm not really going to take blame for that. You have to take that blame for not knowing public information as a journalist on the subject you're interviewing. Well, that was controversial. That's not what got me, though. Earlier in the interview about the halfway point, he talked about if he could go back to the NBA. He said that he feels like his body has been through a lot, but that he does think that he could come back at the point in which he was belligerently drunk and just out of there. Yeah. Nori passed him another drink, poured him some more champagne and said, F the NBA. Right. And Lamar goes, yeah. F the NBA. Yeah, but Lamar knows he's... We but all he's know Lamar. he's encouraging Odom. it. He's but, encouraging but, it. He encouraged him talking about putting a brick on the table and snorting a line. But I think even that question, though, I think even in that question about the NBA, I think that was just more of a question of Nori asking Lamar, do you think you're still good enough to play in the NBA? There's a lot of guys that retire, and after they retire, when, they ask, when they're asked that question in particular, they say, yeah, I mean, if I wanted to really put that work in again and, and really, you know, train to play in the NBA again, I still got it. I'm just past that phase in my life of playing in the NBA. So I don't necessarily think the fuck the NBA statement correlated to Lamar Odom telling Nori, hey, you might see me attempt to go back and play in the NBA again one day. I don't think that wasn't the first time Lamar had hinted on wanting to come back. He said more so his problem has been teams not really trusting him. But even still, I mean, teams not trusting him. I get that. You're saying and, and it's I like a hypothetical question. I think question. it's more of a hypothetical question. Like, man, you still got it. But I think we're all at that point. Like, you know, you're not playing in the NBA ever again. right? But Lamar, and Lamar is knows like really that. sensitive, though. And he has How mental health issues. How can you blame Nori for that, though? Because Nori knew who he was talking to. He knew what he was doing. I said it's all of their But it got agreed to. Like, once it gets agreed to, I just feel like... He said that that was not what he expected or what he thought going into the interview. Had he known what he was walking into, he would not have come. So what part of it do you think that he walked into that would have led him to not come if he knew that before he actually walked into it? Well, he said the line of questioning... Well, it wasn't so much what he was being asked. It was the delivery of the questions. Two, I don't think he knew that he would be drinking in excess to that point. Maybe he thought he could trust himself to take just a couple of drinks, but they were encouraging him. And when you have an addict, obviously they don't know their limits. They don't know where to stop. And if you're encouraging someone who you know is an addict, that's where I feel like you're at fault. All right. All right. That he should have let Lamar kind of self-pace himself instead of, we're taking a shot. Lamar doesn't say anything. No, you're taking a shot. Come on, pour him a shot. Drink this shot. But that's what he does with everybody. But it's what not I'm like saying he's is, single no, Lamar he does out not do that with that, everybody. Yes, not he addicts. does. He does not do it with addicts. He, does it with, he, do, he doesn't do it with people who come into the interview and say, can you not, we don't want to drink during this interview that doesn't make it necessarily off limits for him to interview that person. But anybody else who doesn't agree to drink in the interview before the interview actually happened, Nori's getting toe up with you, mm-hmm. especially if the content is just getting better and yeah. better and better and better. We in here, we, we got a good comfortable relationship with each other. Let's get turned up. So I just feel like because that agreement wasn't made beforehand, I think, Nori having to control how many shots Lamar had, Nori having to to limit how many shots Lamar had, then becomes sort of out of the question. Well, you have to look at social cues. At one point, people started to leave. Um, Nori's son specifically, he left. And then there was another man who was kind of in and out. And Lamar said it's it was uncomfortable. He said, if you did not notice There were people who left because it was so uncomfortable. Everybody in the room felt like it was going in a bad direction. And Nori was like, F it. We're having a great time. This is good content for me. And by the way, don't get me wrong. I'm not necessarily necessarily defending Nori for what he did from the standpoint of I would do the same thing. So I'm not saying that because I get it. Like I said, I do work heavily in the nightlife where I, I see what types of things happen in the nightlife and Basically, my value in the nightlife 
is dependent upon how much money is being spent at that bar. But I do also with work with the more vulnerable, vulnerable population, which is the homeless population where we have to crack down on, uh, especially when it comes to the place of work, we have to crack down on uh, alcohol, substance, anything uh, being promoted, being shown or just being in someone's possession where the naked eye could see it essentially. So I get that. But when but that's still more so in the field of work. When it comes to you deciding what you want to do outside of work, I think I'm about to sneeze. It didn't happen. Cool. <laughs> when it comes to what a person is doing outside of the workplace, I'm not judging the population that I work with if they do go out and have a drink outside of the office or do whatever it is that they decide to do outside of the office. Obviously, I want them to 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 I want their well-being to be as good as it possibly can be at all times, but I'm not going to look at them in a different light because they decide to make decisions outside of where we work because at the end of the day they are grown adults and I do still think that their freedom to be able to do what they want to do at their age is very, very important. And so I would say the same goes for Lamar. I probably wouldn't have been the guy to sit down and have a drink with Lamar, but I'm not necessarily going to blame the person that would sit down and have the drink with Lamar and say that it's their fault because Lamar had one too many drinks. I think it mostly falls on Lamar's team. I think they should have had a clear cut conversation with the production. Right. Said what exactly is going to happen? Can we get the questions in advance? Can we figure out what exactly is going on? And at the point in which things started to go left, they should have pulled it. Well, well, EFN, EFN, (laughs) this is where I say, you know, and I understood what Nori was doing. EFN did try to cut the cameras, but Nori was like, no, no, no. We're going to keep the cameras rolling, which is, I mean. You know, I get it as a journalist. You never are supposed to turn the cameras off. No, they, I don't think happening. they were wrong for leaving the cameras rolling because that is content. You can always come back and take stuff out. But I'm saying from the management point of Lamar's team, they should have pulled Lamar out the interview. Like, this is it. We're not doing anymore. Lamar, shut up. Yeah, I agree. I or agree. somebody could have signaled him and said, hey, so Stop so drinking. Lamar so Lamar needs to fire his team then yes. is what I think we're agreeing on here. Immediately. All right. All right. I, I can live with that. Now the last topic I want to discuss here, and we'll and we'll do a quick taking L's after this, but um I don't know if you necessarily watched this, but you definitely watched me watch this was the Lil John and the T Pain beat battle. Yeah. Um I think it was absolutely historic. I think it was epic. Um I've praised T Pain on this podcast. Uh, once or twice before especially during the time where his his tour where his ticket sales weren't doing so well I was disappointed in that because I felt like T-Pain wasn't getting the recognition that he deserved I think T-Pain should be able to sell out venues for the rest of his life based on his contribution to hip-hop his contribution to music I'm not even going to just say hip-hop because even from an R&B realm T-Pain has really really made classics and I think it showed in that beat battle um, and obviously Lil John has really contributed classics to the hip hop community and to the music community. And we heard that in the beat battle as well. But based on, I guess, you watching me <laughs> watch this beat battle, what were some of your general thoughts in regards to maybe who won or just what were some of the highlights of the beat battle for you? Um, I feel like I don't really know a whole lot of Lil John's music. So I'm biased and going to go with T-Pain all day, every day. I really just like love him as an artist. Um, It was enjoyable to see you as well as a lot of people in the comments reliving their childhoods and being able to really actually interact with celebrities there. You get an all access pass. If you can't go to a concert because of ticket availability or affordability, you're able to have a concert in your home with your favorite celebrities and be able to communicate. I think technology is incredible for that. Yeah, no, I agree 100 percent because both of them took me back to my childhood because I listened to a, to both of a lot of them uh, during my days of of 
just DJing and listening to music and growing up and partying because I've been partying for quite some time now. But I mean, I guess I, I'm a roll with T-Pain as well. And I think there could be some bias there, too, because I do think. T-Pain is probably in my top five of favorite artists of all time. Mm-hmm. My personal top five, not like my general top five when it comes to just the music, the contribution to music, et cetera, et cetera. But as far as my personal top five, T-Pain is definitely in that. But as far as like maybe when it comes to like nostalgic purposes, especially in regards to like party music, Lil John will probably be in my top five in that particular category of music because I've partied to a lot of Lil John's music growing up. But um, I think some of the highlights were off. First off, the way T-Pain started off, Um, T-Pain coming out and starting off with that Good Life record. I think it really set the bar high as shit (laughs) because that Good Life record with Kanye West is an absolute classic. And the fact that Lil Jon was able to respond and answer to essentially just about every record that T-Pain came out and played, that was really impressive to me. Um, Also, I think the risk that T-Pain took was very impressive to me. And when I talk about the risk, it's the one he did by playing the I'm a flirt remix. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we know about R Kelly and his endeavors and the nastiness of what he's done um, with children. And we're not going to do a deep dive into that. We've done that on this podcast here before. We're not going to do it on this podcast here again, but T pain, I think really kind of, he, he took a risk But what it showed was how really fucking good T-Pain is because you think about the risk that he took, but also T-Pain was able to disassociate himself from R. Kelly, but still be able to say, man, listen, this was some great, undeniable music that I made, that I was a part of, that I'm proud of. And although... R. Kelly did what he did. And although this was an R. Kelly record, I'm not here to celebrate R. Kelly by playing this verse. I'm here. I'm here to celebrate myself and to let you all know that you can't erase my contribution on this record in history because of the unfortunate, nasty shit that R. Kelly did. Don't associate me with that because I did a record with R. Kelly. Let me take props for the verse that I had on this beat and then we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so should we come out with edited versions of those songs? If we can, absolutely. I think T-Pain show we could do that, especially because T-Pain, a lot of the music that T-Pain played, if you, I don't know if you listen to it that deep, but watching me listen to it, a lot of the songs T-Pain played, he played the show versions of those songs. Yeah. He didn't play the original version that you would hear on Spotify or that you would hear on a digital streaming platform. He played the show versions of those records. So I feel like T-Pain, I don't think, I think, I guess, let me, let me, let me take a couple steps back here. I don't think it would be the smartest thing necessarily for T-Pain to have a show, especially if it's an all ages show and to play the music that R. Kelly is on in that show, because he does have to be cognizant that he might be, um, you know, he might be, what's the word I'm looking for? He's where he's negatively impacting some fans that may be in he might be triggering that's the word I was looking for he might be triggering folks that might be coming here to support him and some people might not be able to differentiate the difference between T-Pain and his contribution on that record from R. Kelly and his nastiness but I think T-Pain having the platform to do it online rather than in person was really cool of T-Pain to be able to do to disassociate himself from R. Kelly, the artist, and still be able to do it in a public setting where it's not as personable as being at a live show. I thought if there was any time that for T-Pain to be able to do that, it was when he did that on that Instagram Live. I don't think T-Pain should necessarily perform that, though, whenever the Rona goes by the wayside and he can start performing at these venues again. I don't think you do that necessarily, but I think for him to be able to acknowledge, man, listen, my contribution to this record and this record and my contribution to 
society with what I did and what I said on this record, I don't want y'all to forget that because the record is associated with R. Kelly. Can you agree with that at all? Yes and no. Tell me the no part. Um, (laughs) First, tell me the no part first. I feel like it wasn't so much a risk as it was just telling of where the state of the culture is right now when it comes to R. Kelly. You have a lot of people who feel like let's not just throw away his whole catalog of music, especially the the songs that he wrote for other artists that he's not necessarily on. Uh-huh. And then you have in like T-Pain's case where he was featuring or somebody was featured on one of his songs. They're like, let's keep those kind of chew the meat, throw away the bone. Okay. Um, for other people, it is still triggering. When you look at the, the lyrics of I'm a flirt, they're, they're nasty. Yeah. It's a nasty song. And yeah. so they can't, even though he only played his portion of it, you're still hearing R. Kelly. You're even if it's just subconsciously, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're still hearing the rest of the song. So it gets really, really sticky. That, But that's the part. I, I do agree that it gets really, really sticky. And like I said, obviously, I would never support anything that R. Kelly does. And I do, I do support people that say they would never listen to R. Kelly's music again as a DJ since Everything has came out and pretty much been proven, especially since that documentary. I've never spun an R. Kelly record again. And believe you me, I used to spin R. Kelly records before that documentary. So once again, like I said, in the case of Nori, this is not a situation where I would say I necessarily would have made the same decision as T-Pain. But being able to step back 30 feet and get in the mind of T-Pain when he did what he did I can respect T-Pain for saying, listen, don't strip away my contributions Mm -hmm. because of this man's nastiness. I'm not associated with this man's nastiness, although he and I did a record together and I might not have necessarily been fully aware of what this man was doing at that time. Sure, there was rumors and there was allegations, but I think now we're at a place where people kind of feel and know it was real Um, or Maybe we're at a time where even as a society in general, we're just more socially aware than maybe we were back when him and R. Kelly made that record. And with that, majority of folks' minds are shifting um, into being more socially aware, which I think is a great thing. I just feel like his contributions on that record or anybody's contributions on an R. Kelly record don't outweigh the hurt, the pain and the triggering that it can cause women The thing is, it's not just R. Kelly victims that are triggered by this. It's all women of sexual assault. So I feel like the contribution, it just doesn't outweigh the uh, the effects of it. And I feel like as an artist, they should just chalk it to the game and throw out the whole catalog. Yeah, and and they already got paid from it. And that's and that's what I guess I'm saying is like, sorry, I guess personally, I guess personally, I don't want T-Pain to not be proud of the work he did on that record. He should be That's proud all I'm of saying. it. I just feel I, like I he shouldn't make you. any more money off of it or yeah, whatever. I whoever is still you. making money should take that money and donate it to other victims. But I think really, that would they be just great. need to pull it. I, I think that would be great. I you think can, that would be great. You can still maybe perform it. But that's still even I wouldn't even perform dicey. it live. I wouldn't perform it live. Like I said, I think the setting was and he still got backlash in the comments he when did. he did that don't get it twisted like he didn't get let off easy for doing that yeah but i just kind of appreciated the mentality that he you had can empathize in doing with his so position. i can empathize with his position and why he did what he did but kind of moving forward from that a couple of other highlights one of the highlights for sure there's a song that Lil John produced called Some Cut. Um, it's a ratchet song, sort of a nasty song. Um, and in this song in particular, the song starts off with a, I can't do it with this chair that I'm sitting in, but it sounds like bad squeaking, essentially, you know, when people are um, having intercourse. But um, anywho, uh, the song starts off with this like bad squeaking noise and the bad squeaking noise is throughout the remainder of the production of that record and Lord John played that record which is a classic record especially for those that are into hip-hop in a real way we all know some cut by Trailville was a classic record Lord John produced that record but the story Lord John told about him being in the studio and producing that song and making that beat and he was sitting in his chair and his chair is making this like 
bad squeaking noise and he didn't even realize it but i forget who he said it was that was in studio with him that heard it and was like john you don't hear that and john like i, I don't hear it. what the fuck you talking about man your chair squeaking is going perfectly with the beat right now and so he said they put the microphone to the chair and they intentionally made the chair squeak and that's how that sound came about it wasn't a sample sound of somebody's bed squeaking or a sex tape or anything of that extent it was literally little john's chair squeaking as he was making the beat they put the microphone next to the chair and was able to put that incorporate that squeaking sound into the song. So I thought that was really dope as well. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I'm really, really looking forward to T-Pain's new music that he has coming out because at the end, they both played some unreleased records. Uh, John had a record with Usher and Ludacris. That was, eh, it was all right. He says Usher is holding up from being able to release that song, but T-Pain had a record with no auto tune where he was just singing that absolutely shitted on the unreleased record that Lord John had with Usher and Ludacris. So I'm certainly looking forward to T-Pain's future music and just to know that his quality of music that we still haven't heard yet yeah. could match the quality of music that we had have heard over the past, what, nearly two, de- two decades, at least 15 years yeah, now. Um, I- I'm really looking forward to... T-Pain releasing that music and I can't wait for it because he's one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, lastly, we didn't do a Taking L segment. You got anything for Taking L's real quick? Um, you know the segment. You've heard the podcast enough. We ain't got to <laughs> explain it. <laughs> um, Mr. Musk, the CEO of Tesla. Elon Musk. Talk about him. Well, he announced that he was having a great contribution to the coronavirus um, relief team in New York. He was going to donate 1,000 ventilators. A lot of people don't realize that with price gouging, the ventilators prices have about doubled. And so for him to be able to pull out a thousand of them and they're having to pull ventilators from other states, Oregon donated, was it like 150, something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. ventilators I think to New York? 200, yep. Yeah. So it Shout was. Shout out to Oregon, by the way, our yeah. state, flattening the curve out here. Yeah, him doing that was a massive deal. He has more money than he knows what to do with. But it turns out that they were not actually ventilators. They were CPAP machines. Those are the (laughs) machines that they give people who suffer from sleep apnea. Yeah. Um, A lot of people were talking about him negatively for not knowing the difference. But really, if you look at what a CPAP machine looks like and you look at what a ventilator looks like, they can look pretty similar. Like it's an honest mistake, but he got too much money to be making those yes. honest mistakes though. Yes. And he is and, too and big of a team, a seri- too big of a team, too much money. And it's too serious of a pandemic for him to be making those kinds of mistakes. Mm-hmm. I feel like he should still donate 1000 ventilators on top of the CPAP machines that he already donated because New York said we're keeping these. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I agree. Um, I guess for my taking L's right quick and unfortunately has to go to Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, Bernie Sanders has dropped out of the presidential race. So we know that it's pretty much going to be Joe Biden representing the Democratic Party um, and he'll be going up against Trump in this out of an election year that we'll have this year because I really don't know what the hell is going to come from it, especially with the way this pandemic has thrown a wrench into things. Um, I'll be honest with you. I was I was on Bernie's side. I was somebody yeah. who wanted to see Bernie uh, go into office just because of some of the things he stood for, some of the things that he wanted to make happen in office. I wasn't necessarily the biggest Joe Biden fan. So with Bernie taking a nail, I'm not necessarily trying to shit on him because I was a supporter of Bernie. Um, but I wish I am a little salty because I now live in the state of Oregon and I'm an Oregon resident and we haven't had our primaries yet. So I didn't yeah. even get a chance to be able to vote for Bernie Sanders before he dropped out of the race. And I do wish that and I'm still going to vote. And obviously, at this point, I, I, I am going to roll with Joe Biden because I would much rather see Joe Biden in office by the end of this year, early next year um, before seeing Donald Trump get another four years. So I'm definitely just going to ride out with Biden, but I did want to at least be able to say I had the opportunity to vote for the man that I did support, which was Bernie Sanders. So um, that's who I'm going to give my taking L's to, because unfortunately I didn't even get a chance to vote for the guy in the primaries. Um, 
But that's really about it. Alicia, thank you for joining me on the mm-hmm. pod. You sound like you know a little something on here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's all good. With that being said, like I said before, make sure that you support the Street Roots podcast. Continue to support this podcast. Um, give it your all in whatever it is that you do, even amongst these unorthodox times that we currently are in right now utilize it to work on some of your passion projects take time out to enjoy your families i've certainly been able to do that um during this time because usually i'm a workaholic um and and i'm gonna be just straight up honest about that um so just take the time to really do some things that you truly love and have a passion for that you might not necessarily be able to do during your regular nine to five schedule or during times when we aren't social distancing and singing under all these different kind of orders um that being said leaving y'all the only way that we know how and that is to stay woke and go win <laughs>